Jukebox is a Laptop Guru is the podcast which aims to scratch beneath the surface with the help of expert guests and data-led analysis. My name's Tom Bedell and my guest today is Mike Donovan, stat man at Major League Soccer's Portland Timbers. Mike, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, when you sent me the message to come on, I was very excited. So thank you, Tom. Well, Mike, it's a pleasure to have you here, obviously. The first thing I wanted to ask you really is, I'm sure people who follow Major League Soccer and people who follow Portland Timbers know you very well. But for those who aren't aware about your background, can you just tell us a little bit about how you came to work for the Portland Timbers in the first place? Well, I started, you know, I went to college for journalism and I worked at my college newspaper as the sports editor. And I just have always loved numbers and sports and collected all the trading cards and just used to always look at all the players and try to figure out my own trades. Um, and then honestly, uh, even though Twitter has become a place that's a little toxic sometimes, uh, when I moved to Portland in 2009, I joined Twitter and I just started tweeting about the Timbers and stats I liked and players. And um, in 2011, when they became an MLS team, I started covering the club for a local uh, television station's website. I uh, did that for a year and then I moved on to a different blog. And then uh, in 2013, I started covering the Timbers and MLS for Soccer by Ives, um, a great American soccer website. And I did that for two years. And then in 2015, uh, the Timbers uh, asked me to come in and work for them and help them with media notes and stats and uh, writing web stories. And it just went from there and kind of skyrocketed from there. How did your own relationship with stats and data start? You mentioned you don't necessarily come from a, a mathematical background, but... How did you uh, kind of strike up an interest in the subject? Yeah, I've been very lucky that my uh, both my parents were statistics majors at the University College London in England. Uh, so I come from a family of number geeks. And ever since I was a little kid, I, I loved math and quick math. And I just always enjoyed looking at numbers and looking for things that were different. Um, I think it lends itself to my love of just trivia it's all kind of in the same boat. Um, you're always looking for like the first to do something or the longest person to do something, things like that. And uh, it's just curiosity. It's not necessarily um, something, like you said, I didn't take a lot of math classes in university or high school or anything. It's just something I enjoy on my own. There's been an explosion of data and statistical analysis in European soccer and recent years but from the outside looking in it feels like this is an area where the US has always been ahead of Europe is that fair firstly and and if so why do you think that is well I I can't speak to Europe I can speak to America and America's always loved numbers in sports um, baseball is America's pastime it's a sport that's been around in the United States for 150 years and there's something that Americans have always loved about picking up a newspaper and seeing who has the most home runs or uh, you know, round numbers fascinate us, uh, whether it's Wilt Chamberlain's 100 points in a basketball game or Roger Maris, 61 home runs in 1961. Numbers have always resonated, even with the general sports fan. And I think it was just a matter of time before we took a deeper dive into these numbers and people started realizing, you know, we can track hundreds of things for every player in every game. Um, and soccer lends itself so beautiful to that. Well, as you rightly say, Mike, all those U.S. sports have always lent heavily on numbers. How has that bled into soccer? And what do you think the future of statistical data is for soccer? Soccer is still looking for the holy grail of statistic. 
Um, in basketball, there's a thing called PER, and in baseball, there's win shares, and it's kind of that one number that it's not perfect, but we could kind of put all the numbers in and, you know, whether it's by position in soccer or an overall um, overall metric, I think we're still searching for it. And I think it will be one day someone will come along and we'll say, yep, that's, that is the soccer's version of the PER and we can evaluate players. But um, I think that's what we're always searching for. And I think I do want to point out that I, I like statistics because I think they should be fun. I'm not necessarily, um, I don't think it's all about like, we can't enjoy the game and we just look at a piece of paper to see who was better. Um, I think stats can tell fun stories. A lot of my statistics are based on oddities or random facts. And I just think we should have fun with stats. It doesn't have to be sitting in a room uh, just looking at pieces of paper. Uh, it can be fun and we can learn things from the stats. And that's what I enjoy about it. Certainly reading a couple of your pieces in advance of today's show, Mike, that interest in the oddities, as you call them, comes across really strongly. What does your role at Portland entail week to week? And, and what's your process for writing those pieces? Yeah, that's a great question. I will say I'm very fortunate that the Timbers, you know, that I've worked six seasons. This will be my seventh season. The Timbers have been so fortunate supporting me and giving me a platform because um, there's a lot of clubs in the U.S. and elsewhere who kind of shove numbers to the side. They don't want necessarily the features to be about the stats or the oddities. They're not sure if there's readership for it or people who are wanting to see it. Um, and so I've been very fortunate. And, you know, honestly, a lot of my stats just come from me sitting around thinking about, well, I wonder if that's happened before. Or how many times has that happened before? So a lot of my work is the research before the games even start. You know, I try to I try to anticipate stats that could happen. Um, I I tell people I I don't know more than anyone else, but I know how to find the answers quickly. Um, so I I know the databases I need to go to. The MLS Fact and Reference Book is a, such a great resource, and I use that a lot. Um, and then as far as just my writing week to week. I preview every game. I review every game. Um, I work during the games trying to get stats up during the game for the Timber social media accounts. Um, and I work with media relations department trying to get those stats to reporters or a TV coverage, try to get it to the reporters who are working the games. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's just pure fun, to be honest, Tom. <laughs> Well, that's a really interesting answer. And there are a few things I want to ask you, actually, off the back of that. The thing that struck me is you said that not all franchises are open to this kind of view of data. Why do you think that is? Well, I think in the back of the house, it is. I, th I, I can't imagine there's any MLS team who's not crunching numbers and data and analyzing for their scouting departments and things like that. Um, the difference between some franchises and clubs is that the Timbers, and there's others also. I mean, Sporting Kansas City is one that jumps to mind. There's a lot of other clubs who love putting this stuff out there. Um, but it does take time, and it does take people to actually do it. And if you only have a, a few employees from different walks, you're not going to be able to have the resources to do it. Um, I'm also fortunate. I have a full-time job outside of the Timbers, and the Timbers is my fun second job. Uh, so it is really something I just enjoy. Well, there can't be many second jobs which can be described as fun, Mike, so I suggest that you're a very lucky man in that respect. The second thing I was going to ask was, apart from your own records, which I presume you keep, where do you harvest all this information from? Because aside from MLS uh, franchise websites, which you've got you know, good sort of player data on, 
I wouldn't really know where to look. Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate I have access to Elias data and Opta data, but even uh, if I didn't have that access, there's still lots of great places to look. One website I would definitely recommend is fbref.com, footballreference.com has been very helpful. Um, I also work for the Portland Thorns, and uh, Football Reference has been amazing to find NWSL box scores. Um, but like you said, I also have my own databases that I've created and Google Docs and Google Drives. I probably have over 200. Um, I, I put together the Timbers all-time roster because um, they've been around since 1975 and no one had ever put together every player who'd ever played at every level. Um, and so starting with that, then I was able to create all these other uh, things like every country that the Timbers have ever had a player from, every university the Timbers have ever had a player from, uh, things like that. And so it took a lot of work in the off season. And then during the season, I already have the information at my fingertips. And then finally, you mentioned the work you do on a match day. I was at the 2018 International Champions Cup in the States, went to a number of games for the competition uh, and I was very surprised and pleasantly surprised I suppose at full time to be sort of hand delivered uh, a statistical breakdown of the game data for the players data about the match and so on this is obviously something that you do not get in this country when you're in the press box so I wanted to ask is that the norm in in other US sports and in in soccer and 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 do you play any part in that for Portland? It has been my uh you know experience even working other sports too. I've worked hockey and basketball and other sports that yes, in America the spread the stat sheets are ready to go as soon as the game ends. Um but that's all pure data. And so I wouldn't necessarily contribute to that, but then about an hour or two after the game uh, we send out media notes, and those are filled with stats that I helped uh, media relations come up with. And it could be as simple as, you know, it was this person's sixth goal of the season, where that is compared to other players. Or it could be something more like, this is the first time on this date that this has ever happened. Some of those oddities that I love, I always try to get those in any match, uh, match notes for reporters and other media. Well, it's those oddities that you mentioned, which I think are the best bits of what you write, Mike. And I wanted to pick you up on one particular gem about Diego Valeri in your final piece of the 2020 season. You came up with the following nugget. In the 2015 MLS Cup, Diego Valeri scored 27 seconds into the match for the earliest goal in MLS Cup history. Valeri is the only player in MLS history to score both in the first minute of an MLS playoff game and after the 90th minute in an MLS playoff game. Uh, which came in 2018 against Sporting Kansas City. My first question is, how on earth do you find out these uh, these facts, these quirks, and, and how manual is that process for you? Well, I love how you picked that, because I think that does showcase my favorite kind of stat. It's It's when I'm just sitting around or I see something and I go, I wonder if that's happened, or I wonder who else has done that. And those are my favorite, because then I start the research and I start digging that stat isn't as hard as you would think because I know where to get that information. Um, I just went to the MLS Fact and Reference book, which comes out every year. Rick Laws and his team produce, it's amazing. It's an amazing compendium to the season. And they have every first minute goal in MLS history listed uh, by regular season and then postseason. So I, once I found that, then I could just cross-reference those players with their playoff performances. Uh, and then I go from there. There's only been three first-minute goals in MLS playoff history. So I, I just had to look at Justin Miram and Adrian Paz, and once I realized they had never scored in the 90th minute, 
there I go. There's my stat right there. Those are the best stats. And honestly, I, you know, I, I joke about it. I want everyone who wants to, to be able to get these stats. I don't want to be some gatekeeper. Uh, I tell people, someone once asked me, you know, when they saw my stat somewhere else and they, I didn't get credit. And I said, you know, I don't stat for credit. You know, I want people to see these stats and maybe they'll see it and be like, oh, I wonder what else has happened. And then they can look on their own. And that's really like, that's truly what I want when people read my stats. Well, that probably ties into my second question quite nicely, actually, which was going to be, does it give you a sense of satisfaction digging out gems like that and, and, and things that no one else potentially knows? Yeah, 100%. That, I mean, that's, that is my favorite part of what I do. Um, I, I just get a kick out of it. I just enjoy when people are talking about something funny. And, you know, a lot of times people will say, like, how did you find that? And uh, it's just part of the fun. It's, you know, it's part of the fun. And then finally, Mike, I really wanted to ask you this, and I'm, so I'm going to, and I'm worried the answer might be a flat no, but in your experience working for the Timbers, have players ever approached you for kind of data and statistics about their career, or, or do they kind of engage with you on it at all? Because I, I just wonder if there's an, an interest uh, from players in how they've actually performed uh, throughout their careers with the Timbers. In general, no. Like, I'll see players like you know, tweets that I send out about them or others. But I will say there is ex-Timbers players who have gone to other teams and then they ask me uh, for stats about them or their teammates. Um, that has definitely happened. Um, as, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it's even they want to get some trivia that they could like stump their teammates with. I've definitely had that from ex-Timbers when they go to other places. Well, we'll leave it there for part one, but we'll be back after a short break to talk about some of the MLS stars who have caught Mike's eye. Don't go anywhere. back to Laptop Gurus from 23 today. I'm joined by Portland Timbers stat man Mike Donovan. We've already talked about his own kind of career path to this point to working for Portland Timbers and we also wanted to get his insight into some of the exciting young prospects who have caught his eye in recent weeks and months. The league I think somewhat unfairly has a bit of a view as a re- of being a retirement home uh, in Europe but that, that really isn't the case and it's, it's only right therefore that we start with a Timbers player, and the man Mike has selected is Eric Williamson, a 23-year-old attacking midfielder who's played for the US men's national team at under-23 and under-20 level. Mike, what can you tell us about Eric Williamson? Yeah, well, he had such a great season last year, really cemented his role in the club. Um, center midfielder, he can, you know, he, he maintains all the defensive responsibilities that you would want from that position, but he is very silky smooth going forward. Um, he's very, very good on the ball in tight spaces. Um, and he really was a revelation last year paired with Diego Chara in the midfield. Um, and I, and I really look forward to seeing what he can do with a little more experience and what's the next step for him and the progression. Um, he's just an all round ball player. There's nothing that jumps out that, you know, when he's on the field, you're going to have to cover for him in any area. Uh, he's just very consistent and he's very good. Well, one of the cool tools we've got here at 23 in the content toolbox is a dynamic radar, which we'll tweet out when this show goes live, but essentially takes all the, the key components of a player's position and measures their performance in those areas. Uh, for example, as a midfielder, 
We've got Eric Williamson looking at his passes completed, interceptions, pressing duels, and so on. Um, what that shows us is that we're actually talking about a pretty well-rounded midfielder here. Someone who doesn't necessarily stand out in any one metric. Is that a fair assessment, Mike? For sure. I think, you know, I if I had one sentence to describe him, I said I would say a defensive nose with a shuttler skill. He's he's very, very good at getting the ball from the back to the front. Um, and that's so important when the middle gets clogged up that you can rely on someone to progress the ball forward um, on their own when necessary. Um, and I, so that definitely, you know, that's one thing where the eye test meets the stat test. Um, he is he is very good at getting out of tight spaces and he's very comfortable getting out of tough spaces. That's one thing I was surprised last year with for a player with not a lot of experience in the league as a pro. He was very, very comfortable on the ball immediately um, in the season and and going forward as the season progressed. He scored a few goals and was very comfortable around the box, which is not always the case for a number eight in MLS. No central midfielder in Major League Soccer in 2020 completed or attempted more take-ons per 90 minutes. Is Eric Williamson's ball-carrying ability what makes him such a threat? And then someone, I just wanted to ask you about Darlington Nagbe, obviously former Portland player, won the MLS Cup with Atlanta United a couple of years back, now playing for Columbus Crew. Are there any kind of similarities between him and Eric Williamson? I think there are some similarities. Like I would say that Nagby is the best. Sh- sh- I use the phrase shuttler a lot. Shuttler, and it's a you know a person who can get the ball from one zone to the next. And I think Williamson is the best player we've had since Nagby left at that skill. Um, he is very comfortable in tight spaces, just like Nagby. Um, but I will say Williamson, I think, has more of a natural inclination to p- get back on defense. Not that Nagby couldn't. Uh, but I think Williamson is more comfortable uh, when there's attack coming at him, not just attack going forward. Um, so they're they similar in some aspects. And I think Williamson is unique in the Timbers MLS era. I don't think we've necessarily had a player like him. And that's what makes his skill set so um, unique here. Uh, but I think it would translate to any team. Williamson strikes me as a guy you could put in any team, any formation, um, any level, and you're going to be comfortable with what he's going to do. Well, the next player is Daryl DK, and full disclosure, when we recorded this episode of Laptop Gurus, he was still an Orlando City player. He's since joined Barnsley of the English Championship on loan, on a short-term loan ahead of the new MLS season, but it's still worth talking about him. He's a 20-year-old forward who played college soccer for the University of Virginia before being selected in the first round, fifth overall of the 2020 MLS Super Draft. He was the most recent recipient of the NCAA Division I Men's Soccer Tournament Most Outstanding Player, which is a hell of a title, and he clearly arrives in MLS with some pedigree after scoring eight times in his MLS first MLS season and finished as Orlando's second-highest regular season scorer behind Chris Mueller. Um, he's tall and, and uh, strong and big and the temptation is to kind of stereotype him on that basis Mike but what what other facets are there to his game you know uh, you know when I suggested him to you I, I, the reason I suggested him to talk about is because I think uh, his physicality and his size um, kind of pigeonholes him as a one-trick pony but when I watched him play this year and a little bit in college that's not what I saw I think he has a really high motor for, you know, a number nine. 
Um, I think he finds the little angles, which sometimes um, young players who are so physical will just rely on their strength and not necessarily get to the right spots or, you know, pull off runs when needed. And um, I don't think that's him. Uh, he's young. He only has one year of professional experience under his belt. Um, but he does have, a. you said, pedigree. His brother, Bright DK, played for the Timbers um, in the USL and then also MLS. And his sister, Courtney, played in the World Cup for Nigeria. Um, so he does, you know, he comes from a family of soccer players. And I, I think he has the right mindset. And he is also blessed with that physical skill. And he's worked hard at it. And, you know, when you sent me these numbers, you can talk about them. I was kind of surprised what his expected goal total was, um, because I think that's the one facet that will go up this season as he has another year under his belt. I think he will find more, you know, obvious goal scoring opportunities. I think I think he has the mind for it. And I don't think he is just that typical back to the goal big hulking number nine hold up forward. Well, it's interesting you mentioned his XG, Mike. I watched some clips of Daryl DK on Y Scout before recording then. It struck me that for a guy of his size, he does do a lot of his work deeper on the field. And and, and cliche alert here, he has, he has got quite a good touch for a big man, hasn't he? For sure, yeah. I think he's comfortable facing the goal, whereas sometimes we think of these big physical players, they like their back to the goal, like a basketball post-up. Um, but that's not what he, that's not how he plays. He likes running downhill. Um, he, he, he's comfortable on the ball, like you said. Now, sometimes you might see a big player like that. We've had him in MLS where you're like, just get in the box. But I don't think that's necessarily something that's lacking with DK. Um, and I think next, this season, we'll really see that second full season under his belt. Um, I'm excited to see him turn into that all-round player where he is more comfortable in all the positions, but I think he's definitely got the signs of a potential great prospect. Like you said, he's still young, um, and, and he's definitely someone that I think will eventually go to Europe. And we touched on it a second ago, but DK's XG for last season was just 3.11, yet he scores eight times in the regular season. Is that a reflection of kind of poor quality chances and the lack of service? And and is he going to be able to perhaps outperform against outperform his XG going forward, Mike? You know, I think sometimes, and this is just my own judgment, not statistical based, that sometimes young players, especially strikers, when they get on the ball, they're going to look to shoot a little early sometimes, or they'll fire it from a range where they don't need to. And I'm, I think that's probably why the expected goals is so low. I, I would imagine that would go up this year. And he did have some pretty decent players with him, Mueller um, and Nani. So it, I, I would imagine that's going to go up this year. And hopefully it doesn't become a case of, uh, low scoring chances constantly for him, but I don't think it will be. Well, the next player I might want to talk about was Henry Kessler, centre-back for the New England Revolution. Born in New York, he was a member of the New York Red Bulls Academy before playing college soccer at the University of Virginia. He played for two years in the USL with AC Connecticut before joining the Revs after being selected sixth overall in the 2020 MLS Super Draft. Mike's... Mike, what sort of central defender are we talking about here with Henry Kessler from a stylistic point of view? Yeah, it's interesting. When you asked me for some players, I didn't want to get in the uh, just giving you all these attackers and scorers. Um, and but center back is a hard position to evaluate just on the eye test. Um, but what stood out to me is for a young defender, he is so comfortable um, with one-on-one -on -one challenges for a center back. That was what really kind of jumped out to me. He just seemed at ease. He just 
kind of always is in the right spot. He always can see what pass is coming. Um, and, you know, I don't watch every Revolution game or anything, but he just struck me as so consistent. You could have told me he's a 10-year pro. Um, so it's not the sexiest pick. It's, you know, a 22-year-old center back who just plays a lot of games isn't necessarily someone who would jump out, but I just thought he was so clean and consistent. And something that really does leap off the page when you look at uh, Henry Kessler's data is the number of interceptions he makes. He's averaged... 6.29 uh, in 2020, putting him 18th among all centre-backs and was 16th overall for ball recoveries with 11.3 per 90. Clearly, this is someone who, from the data at least, re- reads the game really well. Is that an accurate reflection of what you've seen in his performances? Yeah, I think someone who can read the game well, but then also do something with what he's seeing. Um, a lot of times I feel like center backs are very good at sweeping the ball away and getting so forcing a player to pass it to another player. But he strikes me as a center back who can actually take the ball off the forward. He, he's not just trying to sweep them to the side. He's actually trying to win the ball. Um, and that's something for a young center back to be comfortable because obviously that is risk reward. If you're going for the ball and you don't get it, now there's a guy wide open right in front of your goal mouth. And I, I just think that's a quality we don't see a lot in young defenders. And just finally, thanks. We're obviously talking about a young player here. What are the areas for improvement in Kessler's game, you think, Mike? Defenders at the highest levels have to be so good at the offensive part of the game once they win the ball. And I just think that's something he's going to have to continue to develop, um, being able to spread those outlets or see that over-the-top ball or be able to pass quickly to those holding mids that are ready for it. And I just think, you know, the defense is there, and that's the most important part of being a central defender. But in the modern game, you have to be skilled on the ball also. And I think that's the progression of his game to see if he can become, you know, a national team or a quality player. And then our final player today is Julian Araujo. LA Galaxy right back, 19 years old, played for the US men's national team at under 18 through under 23 level and has a single cap for the full team at this point. Quite an interesting case in so much as of Mexican descent, born in California though and joined Barcelona's academy in Arizona before finding his way to the Galaxy via the University of California. The Galaxy traded $50,000 in TAM to the Colorado Rapids to gain the first spot in the waivers order to sign Araujo. Um, From what I've seen, he looks like a very aggressive, attack-minded modern fullback, happy getting forward. Is that a view you'd echo, Mike? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I think MLS has kind of become a little breeding ground of fullbacks, you know, going to Europe, whether it's, um, you know, Yedlin, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, uh, Alfonso Davies was an MLS Academy player. Um, They kind of breed these fullbacks. And I think Araujo, you know, he has the potential to be a similar attacking minded defender, whether it's a wingback or a fullback. Um, he, He just has something about him when you watch him. And I hate to, you know, get hyperbolic um, because it's hard to judge fullbacks based on stats, like we say. But when I watched him play this year, you know, the Galaxy had a down year. They were not a good team. Um, But he just seems so unafraid um, of going forward. And the other part I really like about his game, he seems to pick out the right ball. He's the type of player who can uh, dribble for 40 yards and then all of a sudden he'll pick out the correct pass. Uh, that second runner pass or, you know, that he scored or he had an assist on a goal against LAFC that jumps out to mind where the first forward ran to the box and most young fullbacks would make that pass. 
he held it for a split second, saw the second runner uh, diving across the front of the goal and played that ball for a goal. And that's the type of play that a 19-year-old doesn't usually make in a pro game. Well, I think that's a very good point. And as as much as we're talking about the numbers here, sometimes you can't quantify everything. 3.39 crosses attempted and 1.13 completed per 90. And that, that really speaks of what you say about his intelligence uh, in the kind of forward areas, Mike. Quite often, though, fullbacks, young fullbacks particularly, can be kind of accused of being better going forward than they are defensively. Is is that something that you might level at Araujo's game at this stage? If I had to guess, I do think he will end up being a wingback or, you know, an attacking winger. Um, that would be my guess. You know, who knows what his development will be. Um but he does seem pretty skilled on the ball. He seems more comfortable going forward than running backwards, which I know sounds funny, but he does seem more comfortable in the attack. I think you do have to play him with a solid center back. And I think one problem for LA this year was they, they just didn't ever come together in the defensive end. Um, but, I, you know, he's so young. I think he can project and develop. Fullback is a position that MLS seems to churn through. You either have an older player or you have a younger player because of the salary implications. You can't spend a ton of money on positions like fullback. And that's where you find these some of these young players who get a chance that they wouldn't get if they were playing attacking midfield or other positions. And then once they get a couple of years under their belt, then they've earned the right to play in those other positions. And you mentioned there, obviously, the, the, the enviable depth the U.S. men's national team has at fullback. Serginho Dest at Barca, obviously, DeAndre Yedlin, Reggie Cannon's playing in Europe now. Brian Reynolds playing in Europe now for Roma. Anthony Robinson in the Premier League with Fulham. Is Araujo someone who can be part of that mix in the long term, do you think? The one thing I have learned about making uh, predictions for any national team, especially the U.S. national team, is that if you go back two years, it doesn't look anything like we thought it would today. So... Is he down on the death chart now? Yes, obviously. But no one would have had Brian Reynolds or Reggie Cannon three years ago penciled in to these spots either. Um, you know, Yedlin has been around so long. Um, who's Who knows what his you know future four or five years from now will be with the national team. Um, I would be shocked if Serginho Dest isn't still around playing uh, fullback for the U.S. national team. But um, I think any good national team needs five or six players at every position just to you know for those friendlies and gold cups and all those other qualifying you need to have you know a full deck in the rolodex and the u.s's problem you know the last decade was they didn't have the full deck uh, they just didn't have the depth in all the positions and so when when you can have a guy like araho who's young and he can be your eighth best at a position, I think you're looking up. Things are definitely looking up. Well, they certainly are. And it's it's an exciting crop for the US men's national team and Greg Berhalter. To round things off, is there anyone in that US men's national team talent pool we haven't mentioned today who you'd uh, like to just give a nod to, Mike? Well, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be a timber stat man without saying Jeremy Abobasi. Um all he has done when he's on the field is uh, played above the level of his opponent. Um, he is just, he's very good on his left and his right. Um, he's very good in the air. His goals come from all different ways. Um, and he just finds the right spots. Now, whether he's a winger or a number nine or second forward, I would rather just have guys who can play and he can just play. Uh, you, you know, you can't pencil him into one position. That's fine. Um, 
but he just brings some depth, and I, I, I hope he gets a legit shot. I think he deserves it, and he's still fairly young, uh, but he's been around the Timbers for quite a while, and he's one player I really hope can crest and reach that next point in his career. Well, our thanks to Mike for joining us on today's episode of Laptop Gurus. It's been really fascinating insight into Major League Soccer and Mike's career as well. Thank you so much. And I do want to say to anyone listening, if they have or have any stack questions or just want some advice or just anything, please tweet at me. I'm happy to help. I always want to help people who are trying to become you know, a stat man, a stat woman. We, we want more of us around. So if anyone needs any help or just wants to reach out, please do. Well, absolutely. Uh, it's at the Mike Donovan on Twitter. And while you're at it, make sure that you give 23 a follow too. It's at 20, the word, three, the number and sport. To find out more about 23, email us at info at 23.sport and ensure that you never miss an episode by subscribing via Apple, Google, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in a fortnight's time and look forward to speaking to you then. In the meantime, take care and thank you for your support. <music>